0: Uh, what I'm going to do is go on through uh, being number three in the series on unity. Uh, it's important, I think, for all of us to be unified. I think it's what God wanted. When I did the first sermon, I basically uh, had enough material to cover about three hours. And I did get into, I think, one main point I wanted to bring out, and that was, The four points that brought disunity, and I, hopefully I covered that enough that you might go over, you know, disunity caused by pride, judging others, uh, expecting others to live by the standards that we set, not God's standards, and then leading others to question God's will, which is causing dissension in the church. Now, I wanted to cover that back then, and I think I, at least I felt in my mind, because those are the things that I needed to rationalize and think about as trying to become a unified group of people, so I see the Church of God today is not unified, and I speak of the greater Church of God, uh, it's many splinters, um, it's such that we don't have one particular uh, spiritual leader. So everybody that's a leader feels that they're the leader. And we have many, many organizations that feel that if you're not in my group, then you're not in the Church of God. And uh, certainly we then begin to talk about each other and put each other down. Each group puts each other group down. And that would lead to dissension and distraction and anything but unity. The second sermon that I gave was I... Wanted to point out how God the Father and Jesus Christ are unified. They have no disagreements. They're they're on the same page, same line, they think the same, they work the same, they don't out there trying to outdo somebody else. It's uh, Christ who recognizes his responsibility and his position is not trying to be number one. Satan proved that, that was not what should be done, and Hillel was created as the greatest creation God had at that time. He was given everything, and somewhere down the line, and I, I thought it was interesting, I I think back on one of the sermons that Beryl uh, brought out quite a few years ago, he said that, that Satan was transformed coming from the earth up to heaven and going back and forth. And one day when he crossed the sea of glass, he noticed how beautiful he was. And it was a downhill slide from that point. Because he thought how great he was, and he could be better than God. But in that second sermon, God and Christ are both there emphasizing the fact that they are in unity. Christ knows in position. He knows that he will be the husband. He knows that the father is the father. And he's not going to take over the father's position. He knows that he has a wife. And as we heard in the sermonette today, that Christ married the church. And he had to divorce it, And he had children. And he's going to marry the New Testament church. And he will have children. So I thought that was pretty good. Yep, right, as a wife and children. So, but much to the fact that too many people think that he has a daughter and they are maybe relations to that daughter somewhere down the line. Well, today, let's go to another step. And that's, we must learn to walk with Emmanuel. You know, we... Have been taught that the name Jesus has been so misused and abused, and when you say the name Jesus, people have a concept, especially in the uh, Christianity today. You say Jesus, and they'll either think of a long-haired individual hanging on a cross, or you'll have an idea, a picture of a of a man. Uh, long hair, shaggy hair, long beard, with sandals tracing through the, the dirt of the Middle East. But is that who Emmanuel is? Emmanuel is God with us. So, is God with us? So today let's see. Are we, as individuals, walking with Christ? Are we walking with God? First of all, in 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 1, verse 3 through 10, 1 Corinthians 1, 3 through 10, says, Paul speaking to the Corinthian church says, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Emmanuel the Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf. Here Paul was wanting and thanking God that he had brought so many people. To the knowledge. That he can communicate with these people. For the grace of God which is given you by Emmanuel. That in everything you are enticed by him in utterance and in all knowledge. So here God's given to us knowledge. And we're, we're given this knowledge by, by Emmanuel. He's taught us. And we can all recognize we have the same knowledge. The church today, we still think the Sabbath, we still think the Holy Days, we still think about the Ten Commandments and that they're God's way of life, but we're not ready to accept the changes that God says is going to happen in Malachi. He said all things will be brought back to the right position. They would all be brought back to where they were originally, but the church doesn't see that. So we must then begin to look and recognize that all utterances and knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed to you, so that you become, uh, so that you come behind in no gifts. So we don't want to fall short of these gifts. He's given us some knowledge. If we put him to use, if we walk with him, those gifts will still be there. Wanting or waiting for the coming of the Lord. So are we not waiting? We know he's not here yet. But we're looking forward. That's that hope that we have. Who shall also confirm you unto the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord? So we're given knowledge and wisdom and understanding that we should be together until the day that Christ returns. And where will we be? Will we be there believing and walking with Christ? God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of the Son, Emmanuel, our Lord. You see, you've been called to be in the fellowship with God. That's our call, yes, to be the wife, and you not be a wife if you're not in unity with Christ. And we were called to be there. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. That's our calling, to be together, to do the same things that Christ has done. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, starting verse 1. Ephesians 3, verse 1. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Emmanuel for you Gentiles. So Paul recognized that he was a prisoner of Christ. He belonged to Christ. He'd given and dedicated his life for that. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given unto uh, you, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as wrote before in, before in few words. So, Here's a mystery whereby when you read, you may understand the knowledge of the mystery of Christ. So he's called us that we can understand this mystery. And he wants us to be unified in the same understanding. Which in other ages was not known of the sons of men as it is now revealed unto him. His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So, he's referring to people that did not understand these things. But he's given it to us. At this day and time, we can understand that mystery. What mystery? The mystery of the plan of salvation. A mystery that says man will become God. A mystery that says we will marry Christ. And we will have children. So that's a mystery that those people, thousands of years before this, didn't understand. Whereof I am made, made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints is the grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul was saying, look, I'm not the greatest individual. He showing one thing. He was a humble person. And it was Christ that put him in that position. It was Christ that made him an apostle. And to make all men to see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world has been hidden in God, who created all things by Emmanuel the Christ. So here's a mystery and a fellowship that we can fellowship together in that mystery. And it was given to us from the very beginning of the world. Ephesians 2. I'm sorry, Philippians 2. Philippians 2. Philippians 2, verse 1. If... There be therefore any consolation in Christ, if there be any comfort in love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercy fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. So we're to fellowship with Christ, we're to fellowship with each other. But we're to have the same mind, that mind that Christ has. Christ wanted to fellowship with people. He wants us to be a part of what he's doing. Are we doing that? To the church he says that we should have that kind of fellowship in first, uh, Second Corinthians chapter six. Second Corinthians chapter six verse fourteen. We should fellowship inside the church. The church should be one mind. Second Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not unequally yoked together with unbelievers? Isn't that interesting? He says, don't spend your time unequally yoked with unbelievers. He wants undivided attention. Is that where our attention is? He wants us to fellowship together with the same mind, the same page at each other's arms. So he doesn't want to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. But what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? So where do we spend our time? Are we fellowshipping with God, with Christ, and those that he has called? Because he called the church to be that fellowship. And what communion has light with darkness? Well, there's not. Fellowship in a year. Light or dark? In what accord has Christ with Baal? Or what part has he that believes with an infidel? So he's saying that the church has got to become agreeing together. In what agreement? As a temple of God with idols. You, for you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's where our fellowship has to come. With Christ and with the Father. That's where we must find ourselves. Wherefore, come out from among them. We hear that time and time and time again. God says to us, come out from this world. Is that not why we here have chosen the fact that we decided to come out here to form a community of God-fearing people who love God, who want to fellowship together, to live in a society of those that love God, those that want to help and share their lives one with another. And that's why we're here. So he tells us to come out and be separate, says the Lord, and touch not unclean things. So throughout the scripture, we're told they're clean and unclean. And again, Darrell pointed out, I think in the, the Babylon series, that there are clean and unclean things. And we have the clean and unclean to teach us to know the difference. So he gave us certain foods to eat that we know to choose the right and refuse the wrong. And, uh, and so He said, "I will receive you, and will be your Father, a Father unto you, and you shall be My sons and daughters," says the Lord Almighty. So this is where God's the mystery. He wants to be our Father. He wants us to be sons and daughters of His, to live with Him. Second Corinthians eight, verse four. Second Corinthians eight, four. Praying us with much entreat that we should receive the gifts and take upon us the fellowship of the ministry of the saints. So to those that are ministers, God is saying it. You're supposed to minister to the saints. And that we should then minister to each other. And that fellowship by visiting and sharing and, you know, I call it back of that sermonette that Gordon did a couple weeks back on iron sharpening iron, or iron beating the living daylights out of iron. What do we want? We want to have a fellowship where we can come together. And I was talking to one person earlier. My background is in one area, and their background is something else. And so I perceive things one way, and you perceive it another. But if we can communicate together and share our perspective on what God is doing, we get a better, closer idea of what God is teaching us. And so, here we are, to fellowship with one another. Not beat each other down. Not be one who is so overpowering that when you get done talking, they feel like they're nothing. And I've known ministry to be that way, and people, that... It just you, you you go away from the discussion, beat, beat up, and you don't gain anything and so the fellowship then is not a good type of fellowship, is it so we need to learn to fellowship in the right way Ephesians three verse ten that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering being made comfortable unto his death Conform, conformable mean us being made conformable to his death so that we know that resurrection that Christ was willing to go all the way to have a relationship with us and that's where we should be today too wanting to have a relationship with our God a fellowship with the, with the God that creating created us To the church, so the first part there was fellowshipping with God. To the church, he says in 2 Corinthians 6. Well, I already covered that. I guess I lost my place. But nevertheless, our fellowship should be with Christ and the Father and with each other. So if we're going to sharpen each other. If we're going to learn to love God and fellowship with God, then we've got to spend the time and love each other as God loved us. Philippians chapter one verse five. Philippians one five for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. So our fellowship together should be the same as it was in the first day. I remember back when I first came into the church. And we were so excited to be with God's people. And then I think of also the sermon that uh, Paul, I mean John gave to the church where he said to one of the church ears, you've lost your first love. Well, if we lose that first love, we also lose that fellowship that we have one with another. And we're told to regain that love. The church doesn't have it. But we should be setting an example for the whole church that they can see that there is love. And isn't what Christ said the last day? He said, by this shall men, all men know you, that you are my disciples if you love one another. If we love each other so much that we're willing to give up everything, then we have the right type of fellowship. So the first thing we have to do if we're going to walk with Christ is we've got to be able to fellowship with God, with Christ, and with each other and have the right type of fellowship. A fellowship that it builds up. A fellowship that teaches and binds. James said that if you see a member, a brother, a sister making a mistake, and you can go to them and say, you know, I see that this is a problem. Can I help you with it? And they see it, and because you love them, and you talk to them in faith and in love, and not beam up, but in love, and they turn around, and what James said got inspired in the light, you've covered a multitude of sins, haven't you? You have saved someone to go to be a part of the family of God. So our fellowship one with another is very important. And we cannot know each other if we don't spend the time with each other. Likewise, we cannot know God unless we spend time with God. So let's look at a few people who walked with God and see what maybe they did in their life that we can then apply it to our lives and see if, you know, we can work that out in our lives too. First, in Genesis chapter 5, we talk, we're learning about Enoch. Well, the Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot about Enoch. We have to gather what bits and pieces are there. There are other writings that point out that he did a lot of things. But here in Genesis chapter 5, verse 22 to 24 says, Enoch walked with God after he begot Methuselah 300 years and begot sons and daughters. So, first they we're told that he, he walked with God, he lived 300 years, and he had sons and daughters. So we know he was married too, and he had children. And all the days Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. So something happened occurred in his life and it was a fellowship that Enoch had with God. But it was a very close relationship that Enoch had with God. Because he said he walked with God. Well, we know Adam and Eve, Walked with God for a short period of time. But they decided somewhere down the line they wanted to find their own way, didn't they? But we know they walked with God because Adam had to be told different things. He was told about the garden. He told about the two trees. So they knew about it. They had communicated with God. They had walked with him. But then they made the decision not to walk with him. To walk on their own things. The next thing we can find about Enoch is in Jude, the book of Jude. So we're not given a whole lot, other than the fact we know that he walked with God, and after 365 years, God took him away. So here in Jude, verse 14 and 15. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these things, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints. So here we're told that Enoch just didn't walk with God. He did something else. He spoke to the people. He told them of what was, going, what was would have to occur. He preached. He prophesied that Christ would come in the last days, and he would come with ten thousands of his saints. Well, we know that could be 144,000, doesn't it, don't we? So ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all. So he was preaching to these people saying, look, there is a problem here. We're not walking with God. We're not doing things God's way. He's going to ex- execute judgment upon all to convince all the ungodly among them of the ungodly deeds. So he had to see the situation that he was living in. He had to tell the people, turn around. You're going the wrong direction. And he was apparently so forceful that God realized that there was no need for him to stay around anymore. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. He pleased uh, God, verse 15, to execute judgment upon all, to convince the ungodly among them all of ungodly beings, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speech, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So, here, yeah, people were going... Way off track. And Enoch tried to bring them back on track. Didn't do any good, did he? Because we know that later on, God had to take them out. Hebrews. The next thing about Enoch here is in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. Verse 5 and 6. By faith. And interesting here, the first thing it says, by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death. It was the faith that Enoch had that he believed that he could carry on and do everything and teach everything and tell these ungodly people that you're ungodly. I'm sure he was not very well liked when you tell people that they're ungodly, that they're making a lot of mistakes and if they don't, Turn around they're going to die well before his translation he testimonyly pleased God but without faith you see without faith it is impossible to please God. how much faith do we have for he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So here we're told that we have to have faith and that we must diligently seek God. If we're walking God's way, we have to put a lot of effort into it. We just can't stumble along. We can't think it's our way or the highway. It's God's way. The next person I want to bring up is Noah. So here... Enoch walked with God. He preached that these things were going to happen. People didn't believe it, did they? Noah, Genesis 6, verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generation. And Noah walked with God. Noah's heart Noah's mind was there with God. So he was perfect in his generation. In other words, through the bloodline from Adam, it was not perverted. So many people had become perverted through the years. But Adam, I mean Noah, was perfect in his generation. And Noah did something that not everybody was giving the, the message of. He walked with God. He relied on God's understanding and teaching. Chapter 6, 20, verse 22. Verse 22 now. Thus did Noah. What did Noah do? Noah did according to all that God commanded him. Noah said, I am going to do God's will. How about us? Do we say I will do all that God commands me. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it doesn't look like that ought to be done. Yet Noah, who apparently at this point in time never had they didn't have rain, the ground was watered from the and the crops were watered from the ground up from the mist. And yet God told him to build an ark, to build a big vessel. Now, here you are in the middle of, say, the desert build a great big vessel. Where's the water? Yet Noah did all that God commanded him. He was willing to respond to what God had taught him and told him to do. Again, we go back to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. So Noah did all those things God commanded him. But he also, in Hebrews 11, verse 7, by faith. Why did he do it? He did it by faith. So Noah wanted to walk with God and he believed God. By faith being warned of God of things not yet I've seen as yet, moved with fear and prepared an ark for the saving of his house, by which he condemned the world as being, became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. So, Noah believed God. They didn't have rain. God said, I'm going to cause it to rain. I'm going to flood the world. I'm going to take care of and wipe out everyone. Most of the people for that 120 years that Noah preached did not believe him. Until the day he went inside that ark, didn't they? And then they beat on the door. Then they hollered and screamed because they wanted to be a part of what God was doing. But they didn't believe God. So it's to Noah's credit when it says it was by faith. He didn't know that this was going to happen. He never saw these things. And yet he believed that God would do that. One more place about Noah. Second Peter. Chapter two, verse five. Second Peter, chapter two, verse five. God says, and He spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person. And note, a preacher of righteousness, being in the flood upon bringing the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Enoch preached to the ungodly. A, Noah preached to the ungodly, and he did it by faith, and he followed God's commands. And that's what's important. He was willing to walk with God. Whatever you say, I'm going to do that. Look at another example of a person who walked with God. It's one we all know, called the father of the faithful. It's Abraham. Again, we'll go to Hebrews 11, this time in verse 8. Hebrews 11, verse 8. Again, the same point that God brings out. By faith, Abraham. He emphasizes the fact it was their trust, their belief in God. And you can only have trust and belief if you're willing to walk with God. You can hear things. You can read things in the Scriptures and you can deny them. God told Noah, build an ark. I'm going to flood the world. Flood the world? With, with what? I'm going to cause it to rain. What is rain? Noah believed him. It was by faith that he obeyed God. So in verse chapter 11, verse 8, by faith when he was called to go out into a place which he should after we received for an inheritance, notice Abraham obeyed and went out, not knowing where he went. How many of us made that decision to come here? We did it by faith, didn't we? We didn't know where we were going, particularly. We didn't know what was going to happen to us. But we did it by faith. So we followed an example that God sent to us here through Abraham. Because we obey, then we are apparently walking with God, aren't we? We obey him, we're walking with him. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Genesis 12, verse 1. Which relates back to what Abraham did and what it said he did there in Hebrews 11.8. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get you out of your country. Well, here's what God said to Abram. Get out of your country. From your kin. From your father's house. Unto a land that I will show you. Now that's a pretty difficult task. Abraham was a very wealthy man. What if he went to some of the very, very rich people of this world today and said, leave your country, leave your house, your million-dollar mansions and all your cars and everything, and go out to this desert, how many of them would follow? I don't think you'd find any that's going to want to give up a beautiful mansion with a swimming pool and a Rolls Royce maybe, or Lamborghini or whatever an airplane. You want to find these people wanting to go out to a desert and pitch a tent or live in an old mobile home? But that's what God asked and required of bomb. And I will make you a great nation. And that's just God saying to you, I'm going to make you a great nation. What did God say to us? Get out of your country, out of your, away from your kinsmen, come out to a place and I'm going to make you a great people. I'm going to make you kings and priests unto our God. No, we don't see us being kings and priests right now, do we? We're just people coming out here with hope for the future. Just like Abraham. Abraham walked with God. Maybe we're walking with God if you're willing to obey him that way. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Now, Abraham became a blessing. But think about that in our relationship with God. Will we not be a blessing to this world if we walk with God? Are they not going to benefit so our willingness to sacrifice ourselves for God, he promised that to us. And I will bless them that bless you, and curse them that curse you. And you shall all families of the earth be blessed. He promised that to Abraham. But you know, he promises that to us too those people that curse us are in for a rough time in the very near future. And those that bless us will be blessed too. So Abraham did what? Abraham obeyed. He departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abraham took his wife, uh, took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substances that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in turn, and they went forth into the land of Canaan, into the land of Canaan they came. So they went out and pitched tents. Gave up a million dollar mansion. Gave up a lifestyle that was like the rich and famous. Except Abraham became more famous than anybody else that we know today. Genesis chapter 17, Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. And when Abram was 70 years old and nine, 79 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be you perfect. Some of us are up in that age group right now and a lot of us are younger than that. And yet God says to each one of us the same thing. Walk before me and be you perfect. So the command to us is become perfect also. Chapter 22, verse 12. And he said, and this is the case where and you think about it yourself. Abraham was told to have a son. And he went a long time, a 100 years old. And finally, his wife's womb was opened. She had a son. And he grew and became a young man. And God came to Abraham, Abraham and said, Now, I'll tell you what. I've already told you that i are going to make a nation out of him. But I want you to go out there and sacrifice him to me. How many of us as fathers and mothers would will be willing to say, I'll take my daughter or my son, and I'll sacrifice him to God? It's only what i God, got, but God asked me to do that. It'd be pretty difficult, wouldn't it? And that's where the case is right here. God had asked him to do, to do that. he take his son out there and sacrifice him to me. And he said, lay it out your hand. The angel came to Abraham. He had built the altar. He laid the wood on it. He... Tied his son up and had him laid up on it. Now, the son had to be willing. Abraham was an old man. His son was young. And yet, he had to be willing to follow his dad's directions and have the faith and trust, not only in his father, but in God too. So, he was laid on there. Abraham had drawn back the knife. He was going to slit his throat. He was ready to do it. And the angel came and said to him, Lay not your hand upon the lad, and neither do you anything unto him. For now I know that you fear God. It was a test. God wanted to know, how far will you go for me? If you're going to walk with me, how far will you go? What's the limitations that you put? Is it, I'll go as far as Ten miles? What it Christ said? They asked you to go a mile, go two. They asked for your coat, give them you your cloak also. Christ to know, if I ask you to do something, how far will you go? What's the limitation you're going to put? I want you to walk with me. So here he said, Smith's son's throat, sacrifice him to me. And Abraham, as much as killed his son there on that altar, and God said, "From now I know that you really love me, that you really want to walk with me, seeing that you have not withheld him, your son, your only son, from me. And said, By myself have I sworn, said the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld him, your son, your only son. That's why God called him the father of the faithful. That's why he said, Abram walked with God. There are many other people that walked with God. We can go back and look at those stories. Moses. Moses walked with God, didn't he? He grew up as an Egyptian. 40 years old. He knew those were his people. He could tell every day that he was an Israelite and not an Egyptian. And at forty years old, after being an officer and a high ranking individual in the Egyptian government, saw an Israelite being beat up. Of course, God brought him to that point, you know. He had to see, well, how far will you go, Moses? And Moses saved and spared the life by killing an Egyptian. So then he had to flee because his life is as good as dead too. So for 40 more years, what did Moses do? He learned how to be a shepherd. And then one day, by faith, Hebrews 11, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Refused it. And we find later on that he... Walking out there as a shepherd, <clears throat> see this bush burning, but it's not burnt up. Now, my wife said this morning, what we would probably do is call 911 and put this fire out. Especially in an area like right now where it's super dry and our fire, fire threat's very high. But Moses went to see it, and God spoke to him and said, take off your shoes, Moses. And God told Moses, he had a job for him to do, that he was going to take and free the people. Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses said, Who am I? I'm just a shepherd. Not only that, I'm a fugitive. If I go back there, it's going to take my life. So Moses said, who am I? <clears> Have <throat> we said that. And <clears throat> so we ask ourselves, well, who am I? That God would bring me to this point in life to marry Christ to be able to Develop a nation and the world of God-fearing people. Who am I? I'm not a great orator. I'm not rich. I'm not a mighty person. I'm old or weak. Some of us were young. Some of us are fairly strong, but who are we? That's what David and Moses said. Who am I? And we ask that of ourselves. Who am I? What's my... Why why did God choose me? But he had his reasons. He wants to walk with us. And Moses walked with him for another 40 years. He had his ups and his downs. He made mistakes. But he still humbled himself. We see the examples throughout Deuteronomy, uh, Exodus, and the trials that he had to go through. And yet all that time, he believed God, and he walked with God. Another person we could look at would be David. David was called a man after God's own heart. Notice Acts chapter 13. Acts 13. Speaking of David, and when he had removed him, speaking of Saul, when he removed Saul, he raised up unto him David to be king, to whom also he gave testimony, saying, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who shall fulfill all my will. He should look into the heart of David. And David did many things. He's called a bloody man. He was a warmonger, And yet... We see here, God called him a man after his own heart, because he was willing to do the things that God wanted. He said, I have set, in Psalms chapter 16, verse 8, Psalms 16, verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. You see, this is what God looked at, testimony for David. He always put God in front of him. He always looked to God. He made mistakes, he paid penalties, but he always put God before him because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. He recognized as long as he was close to God, as long as he was attached to God, he wouldn't fall away. Sometimes we get off track and we're unwilling to make that change and go back on track. David got off track, didn't he? He had a man killed. Took his wife. He got off track. But then we can go to Psalm 51 and read David's repentance. Because he went back to God. Well, how about us? Do we get off track? And then let like pride or arrogancy or whatever it is, pull us farther down? Or are we going to turn back to God and say, I'm the guilty party, God. I understand it. I made a mistake. Oh, David could have said, it was that woman. Oh, is that what? Adam said, it was that woman that you gave me. Oh, David could have said, you know, if that woman hadn't been out there with no clothes on, I wouldn't have been tempted. But he said, no, I made a mistake. I have sinned to you against God. Yes, he sinned against another person, but he sinned against God. Psalm 86, verse 11. David speaking again says, Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in truth, unite my heart to fear your name. So David wanted to walk with God and he wanted God to unite him and bring him to him. And there are others that we can go to. Paul. Here was a man, name was Saul, raised up as a Pharisee, went out persecuting the church, putting people in jail, and all of a sudden God put him to his knees and asked him why he persecutes me. And Paul walked with God. We know he spent three and a half years with him. And we know the rest of his life, he walked with God. He was willing to give up his life for his family. He walked with God. How about a person that we know, not all of us maybe, but some of us know. His name was Herbert Armstrong. Here's a man that had a business. He was a great person. In his business made a lot of money. One day his wife said, We we'll can teach you Sunday. Sabbath is God's day. Oh, no, he said. I'll prove that to you. So we have the scripture that says, Prove all things and hold fast to the truth. Is that not what he did? He spent six months in comfort, conclusion, in the conclusion that he was wrong. That we have to serve God. And for six years or seven years, he and Loma kept the piece of tabernacles by themselves. God had to prove him that he would walk with him. Well, he made mistakes. He wasn't perfect. But the man walked with God. And we are here today because of his willingness to give up everything he had. To go ahead and not beat people in the head with the knowledge he had, because I remember hearing it. Don't believe me. Don't believe a person. Take your Bible out. Read it. Ask God for guidance and direction, and let Him teach and let Him lead you. So can we say that Mr. Armstrong walked with God? I think so. He wasn't perfect. But neither was David, neither was Abraham, neither was Moses. You know. They all had their problems. But they had faith and hope and trust in God. And they walked with God. That was their intent. How about us today? You know, it says in Amos 3, verse 3, right down. it says, Can two walk together except they agree? Can we walk with each other except we agree? No, we can't. Well, we might butt heads. and You know, you can argue over scriptures. You can argue over doctrine. You can argue over a lot of things. And when you walk away, you're going to be in the same mind. You're not going to change anything. But if we can relate our experience and try to go in that same path and not beat each other up with who I am or what great I am or what, what I know, but relate how it relates to you, then maybe we can be then walking together in agreement. Because that's what God expects from us. He wants to walk with us, but we also have to walk with each other. Isn't it safe? another place in Proverbs? A two-fold cord is strong, but a three-fold cord is not going to be broken. If we have each other, and we're walking together, and we have Christ working with us and in us, then we're not going to get broken apart. We're going to stay together. We're going to do things God's way. Again in Micah, uh, in Micah 4, verse 5. Micah 4, verse 5. For all people will walk everyone in the name of his God. Well, people are walking in the name of God. Speaking of those of us that will be gods. And we will walk in the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. Because we will be gods. And we will be the bride of Christ. And we will walk with Christ hand in hand. And we will do things his way. Micah 6, verse 8. telling us what we must do if we're going to walk with God. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly. The first thing, we've got to do things justly. To love mercy. That's hard to do sometimes, to have mercy, isn't it? See somebody making a mistake and being merciful. The good thing that our Savior was merciful, wasn't it? Because it says, I think it's in Isaiah, how he gave up his life when everybody hated him. He had that kind of mercy. John 3, 16 and 17 says, God sent Christ to this world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So he had mercy. So here he's telling us. This is what God expects from us. To do good, to be just, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. Are we walking humbly, Or do we walk in our pride and our arrogancy and standing up and saying, I know it all and you don't know nothing? How many times have we heard that? Like I said, that one preacher that I know, that it was hard to be there because when he got done preaching, you felt like you were about an inch tall. Is that tall. Because he beat you in the ground and not walking humbly and trying to build up and saying, we can do it. You see, God called us. He wants to walk with us. And I think we are walking with God because at least, we're striving to do the things that he wants done. We obey him, we listen, we follow his directions. Isaiah 66.10. Again, another scripture that we quote many, many times. For all these things, as my handmaid, talking about the heaven and the earth and all the gold and uh, all the silver and all the cattle on a thousand hills and the stars and everything God says are mine. Well, all these things have my hand made, and those things which have been, says the Lord. But to this man, and he's talking about men, mankind, this man and woman will I look, even to him that is poor and contrary in spirit and trembles at my word. Do we tremble, really tremble at the word of God? Do we believe that when he says, build an ark, I'm going to flood the earth, and we don't even know what rain is. And what do you mean to flood? Will we build the earth? Do we believe in, as you said, sacrifice your daughter or your son? No, I'm going to make them a nation. Millions of people are going to come from them. But you want me to slaughter them? You want me to kill them here? Do we believe God that much? How far do we go? What is our limitation? He said he wants us to walk humbly before him. Humbly. Not arrogantly prideful, but humbly. Romans 8, verse 1. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Emmanuel, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. What is our motivation? Where is our treasure? And what Christ said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Is our treasure in this world millions of dollars, gold, silver, cars, houses, jobs, or is our goal Our treasure being a part of the life that God set in front of us. Where is our treasure? Are we walking after the flesh? Question, Paul said. Do you walk after the flesh or do you walk after the spirit? Are you willing to sacrifice your life for me? Colossians 1. Here, Paul again, speaking to the church of Colossians. Colossians. Colossians, But he's also speaking to us, isn't he? He's saying that you might walk worthy of the Lord. Colossians 1, verse 10. That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in all good works, Increasing in knowledge of God. You know? Is that where our knowledge is? Our time spent? Are we producing good fruit? Great fruit? Fruit that God would like? We're to be the first fruits, you know. Christ is the first of the first fruits. We're the rest of the first fruits. That fruits that are the best fruits that God is going to be presented to God. And that's what we're to be. Are we doing things that will bring pleasing and honor to him? And again in Colossians four verse five tells us that we should walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Do we waste time? Or do we recognize time running out? I talked to one of my daughters this morning I had to tell her. This country's going to collapse. Time is running out. Our dollar bills are shrinking every day. We're soon going to have to have a basket full to get a loaf of bread or a gallon of milk. It's increasing. We need to walk for God in second First Thessalonians twelve or two verse twelve. First Thessalonians two twelve says that you should walk worthy of God who has called you into his kingdom and his glory. That's what we're to do. We are to walk worthy of that. We've got to put the effort and energy into that. I could go on and talk about the fellowship with darkness. Sometimes we're fellowship with the darkness. The unfruitful works of of Satan. God doesn't walk that way. First Corinthians ten verse twenty says, "But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, the sacrifice to devils and not to God. So where is our sacrifice? We're to be a living sacrifice." You know what it says in Romans twelve one. Are we sacrificing to God or to Satan? We give up our life for God, to fellowship with each other, to serve. Each other, and wasn't it what Christ said? If you whatever you do to the least, to the least, and we look out here, who's the least of my people, of my children? You've done it to me. So if we're sacrificing to ourselves, to the world, or do we sacrifice to Christ by sacrificing for each other? If we sacrifice to the least of these. We've done it to God, for Christ on sacrificing the devil, and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with the devil. So where are we spending our time? We need to walk in the light. Christ is the light. John 12, verse 35 says, When Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Speaking to his disciples, the light is going to be with you just a little while. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you, for he that walks in darkness knows not where he goes. We're dealing time, we're walking in light, aren't we? We have that chance, that opportunity. It's not going to be a light too much longer. The world's going into darkness. And we've heard many times but it's going to be the world against the church. If you think it's a little dark now, it's really going to be dark times. And if our faith and trust is not like Abraham, not like Noah, not like Enoch, not like Moses, or David, or Paul, then we're going to be not here. We have to have that kind of faith, of believing faith, trusting him. No matter how big the army is, God is bigger. Like it was Elijah that stood up to one town. The whole army was there against him. And he told his scribe with him, he said, Don't fear. There's more with us than with them. And as God opened his eyes to see, and he saw ten thousand angels. You know, one angel could whip the whole army that was there, but there's 10,000 angels out there. We have thousands of angels that will protect us. If God decides that, that's what he wants. But he could bring us to that point to say, how far will you go? How far will you go? What will you set between me and you? And that's the position we find ourselves in. God wants us to walk hand in hand with Christ. Are we ready to do that? Are we saying that God is our God? He is powerful and capable, and whatever comes down the line, He knows what He is. And sometimes He gives us trials to see how far we'll go. You that will happen to Abraham. I want to see how far you go. Now I know that you will follow me. Someplace down the line, God's going to come to us and say, now I know you will do it my way. Will we separate ourselves from God or will we walk with God? Proverbs 22 says, verse 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart. God has been training us from little children He's showing us the right way to go. It's what he wanted to do with Adam and with Eve. He wanted to show them the right way to go. Because he knew that once he got the right information into them, they would never depart. But they didn't want to learn. So we've been trained, we've been gaining tremendous knowledge. He's training us the way to go. It might not seem the greatest, so we keep the feast. A month different from everybody else. We're the oddballs. Does it bother us? Or are we saying, we want to walk with God. And if we're looked at his oddballs, we are get the oddballs. But nevertheless, we're going to follow God no matter what. And when we do that, he can kick down and say, Now I know I can give you more. Now I know I can feed you more. Now I know you can be my bride. So, we've got a great teacher. All we have to do is, like Hebrews 11 says, have faith and obey. If we have faith and we obey, and we do as Christ said, and many times he said, I of myself can be nothing. Do we say that? I, myself, can do nothing as the Father teaches and tells and shows me that I can do. That I will do. Christ didn't want to go through the the beating and the death that he had to go through. If he said that prayer. If it was possible, if it were possible, take it away from me. But nevertheless, Not my will, but yours. If we're walking with God, and I think we are trying, we're going to say to God, Not my will, Father. Not my will, Christ, my husband. But your will be done. Let's keep walking with God.